All those who have been knocked down, all those who have been counted out, left behind, this is your campaign. Just over a week ago, many of the pundits declared that uh, this candidacy was dead. Now we're very much alive. As I said from the beginning, this election is the one that has character on the ballot. The character of the candidates, the character of the nation is on the ballot. It's more than a comeback, in my view, our campaign. It's a comeback for the soul of this nation. Please choose to be self-evident. All men and women created by go, you know the you know the thing. gentlemen welcome from the center of the west coast covid19 outbreak it's your boy justin robert young joining you for politics 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 the day after it looks as if for the first time the die has been cast in this primary the man that you heard proclaiming himself back from the dead is indeed joseph robinette biden jr he had a big win in michigan as bernie sanders is denied lightning striking twice this is going to be an interview heavy version of the show as we are assembling some of my favorite people that uh, I, have, I have either known or met on the road friendly voices we are going to be joined by jd durkin the DC correspondent for Cheddar. We're going to be joined by Daniel Newhauser, he, the senior political correspondent for Vice, and because we got to keep it in the fam, we're going to be joined by Andrew Heaton, who might now, for the first time, be able to breathe a sigh of relief that he will not have his Sophie's Choice election of Bernie versus Trump. But before we get into all that, let's go over the raw numbers. Your headline, of course, is in Michigan. Joseph Biden, 52.9% to Bernie Sanders, 36.4%. This tracked fairly close to the Real Clear Politics average, but denies Bernie what he needed. Lightning striking twice in the same place four years in a row. Remember, if he doesn't overperform in Michigan during that Hillary Clinton primary, then he would have had a lot more pressure to drop out before he did. That shock upset allowed him to keep going. He does not have that this time. And it it came because Joseph Biden overperformed what Hillary Clinton did to the tune of nearly 250 
1,000 votes. Bernie actually did around what he did last time. I think he was maybe 10,000, 20,000 votes short of the number that allowed him to win four years ago. Not enough now. Joe Biden, 72 of those pledged delegates to Bernie's 52. We had a blowout in Mississippi, 81% for Biden, 14% for Bernie Sanders. That's enough for Biden to get 31 delegates, Bernie Sanders only two. It was a closer race in Iowa, still a Biden victory. Uh, basically 49% of the vote for 42 for Bernie Sanders. Elizabeth Warren, presumably on mail-in ballots, got 2.7. This one, another backbreaker. Missouri, Biden 60, Bernie 34. That is a 41 delegate haul for Biden, 23 for Bernie. But we do get into some good news for the Sanders Nistas. North Dakota, a 53-39 win for Bernie. And this is still coming in because remember that Washington is not only dealing with a massive COVID-19 outbreak, but also they are a male-only state. So that's going to be counted for a little bit. As of right now, with 67% reporting, Bernie Sanders leading just barely. Joseph Biden Jr., 32.7, 32.5. Bernie did call a press conference. He didn't speak last night. Remember, uh, both of the candidates canceled their rallies in Cleveland. However, he did go out and speak today. And I'll tell you what, he started off talking all about how dangerous Donald Trump was. It kind of felt like a dropout, uh, presser. But he says he's going to stay in. The next big conflict will be a CNN debate on Sunday where there will be no crowd. Empty arena match for the first one-on-one face-off between Bernie and Biden. Dan Neuhauser is the senior political reporter for Vice News, and he is our first guest today. Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. All right, so I'm going to start off with this. Biden, I mean, what? (laughs) Good question. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, it looks like he is well on his way to securing... Uh, the Democratic nomination, contrary to like everything that we saw with our own eyes and reported with our own pens and laptops over the last several months. Uh, I, I mean, it's not exactly an original thought, but this is probably the most spectacular comeback, turnaround, whatever you want to call it, um, that anybody's ever seen in any nomination for either party in a long time, if not ever. I mean, I guess the closest would be McCain, right? Because McCain similarly had fired, he fired his entire campaign leadership. Uh, uh, Biden shuffled it after Iowa, but McCain never looked, I mean, I guess there is just like the weird duality of, of the national polls never really lost faith in Biden. Everybody who physically had to walk into a voting booth in those first three contests seemingly did. And, and and that's yeah it was it, yeah sorry it was it was weird that it, it seemed to me like the people who got 
the most up close and personal and, and extended long look at Biden kind of said, eh, I don't think so. You know, this guy's not, he's not all there. I heard a lot. I mean, a lot of voters said a lot of kind of nasty things to me um, about what they thought of Biden's performance. He's losing it. And we're seeing that conversation get extended into the Twitter sphere now with all this like unfounded talk of dementia and senility and whatever, you know, sure. Um, I want I want to be very clear. All that's unfounded. But the fact is, you know, he's gas prone. He is, of course, uh, as old as pretty much anybody still left in the race now, including Trump himself. Um, but people were just not feeling it when there were other options out there who were younger and yeah. ideologically similar. You know, the Klobuchar's, the Buttigieg's of the world. Uh, it seems like when the choice came down to him and Sanders, people just didn't choose Sanders. Well, and and, and I, I want to get into kind of the, the big the big coalescing that happened. But I, I do just want to stop a little bit on, on what you just touched on, because I I don't think that it's arguable either by watching in videotape or watching him live, both of which we have done a lot of specifically if you compare where he was before that Biden as a politician and categorize this however you want to. He like an athlete doesn't have the pitches that he had in his youth. Like that there are, there are certain things that he used to rely upon that now he can't do whether or not you want. I mean, obviously the most negative way you could say that would be, you know, he's senile or he has dementia or something like that, which I, uh, those are medical diagnoses that I don't think anybody either on Twitter or, or who are reporters can, can say out loud, uh, because those mean certain things, but I don't think that there's any question. And I would ask to you that he's not the politician he once was, right? That's what voters have been telling me uh, that they take a look at him. They've they've talked with him. They've seen his per, uh, performance in debates, uh, and you know, voters, pundits, everybody they they've been saying pretty much the same thing. He's not done a great job in this campaign, and it seems very much like his, you know, sort of turnaround, his comeback since South Carolina is owing very much, if not almost exclusively, to uh, the, the sort of longstanding trust and, and relationship people have had with him and just the fact that he is not Bernie Sanders. <laughs> and I guess that that might be the biggest thing that, that maybe – we discounted going into the uh, South Carolina contest is that he looks so much better as a front runner than he does as an also ran because he has this gigantic legacy in DC. He was the former vice president. So if he doesn't have a gigantic long list of people coming out and saying, Joe Biden has to be the guy then almost on its face, you have to wonder why. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, they made it very clear. The people who are now endorsing him when they were running against him, they made it very clear whether it was in sort of innuendo terms or whether they said it outright uh, that, you know, he had overstayed his welcome, that it was yeah. time to turn a page generationally. Um, and now that they're endorsing him, of course, they don't feel that way anymore. They, <laughs> they think that all the things that they used to say are, that, that were negative about him are actually now positive about him. But, you know, that's politics and that's sure. how it goes. And and uh, if he wins, I'm sure they can look forward to 
uh, nice appointments in his cabinet or, or whatever other uh, benefits come from supporting somebody who ultimately goes on to win the presidency. So here's what I really want to talk to you about. While me and you personally know that the most transcendent 24 hours of this campaign came in the hours following and containing the Tom Steyer juvenile rally in South Carolina, <laughs> uh, I think impactfully nationally, the next 24 hours probably were the most. And this is where the last time I saw you, we were in Columbia. Next thing you know, I head back to California, but you went to Selma, Alabama, uh, I think ostensibly just to cover a an event where a lot of candidates were there. But as we now find out, this was effectively the nerve center of what happened after that, which was the great collapsing of all centrist support into Joe Biden. Uh, did you have any sense there that 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 those kinds of gears were turning before Pete Buttigieg dropped out? I didn't, so Buttigieg didn't speak at the, the church uh, at Brown Chapel AME, and neither did Klobuchar, but Bloomberg did, and Bloomberg sat right there in the front row pew. Um, at that time, it did seem like the Bloomberg hopes of, you know, being able to swoop in as a savior uh, were collapsing in front of, you know, my own eyes. Uh, he was in the front row pew. They called him up to to speak and even the introduction was like you know was just awkward mm -hmm. the guy introducing him, the reverend who introduced him said you know i tried to invite bloomberg here before he said he didn't want to come but now he did come we finally got him here <laughs> oh my uh, god look, we, we yeah we know that uh that he you know we he did a lot of things in new york that we don't agree with but look the fact that he's here shows the capacity to change and then <laughs> bloomberg did give a speech and people turned up, you know, stood up and literally turned their backs on him. Uh, maybe 10, a dozen people, something like that uh, in church. I mean, it was just an incredibly tense moment and you just got this. And then, you know, Al Sharpton said some unflattering things about him later. And when Joe Biden came in, he got like a prince's welcome. He was yeah. up on the stage in an honorary seat uh, along with Stacey Abrams and Terry Sewell, the congresswoman from the area, right next to Al Sharpton. People were just loving him. And you just get the sense that everything that Biden had been saying about why he deserves to be the top guy on the Democratic side, at least in the, the, in the moderate lane, uh, if not you know, for the Democratic nomination as a whole, were materializing right in front of my eyes. Like, he has this unparalleled support in the African-American community that just goes back decades. And he also has this intangible quality that a lot of candidates um, who have won before him have, which is that this just rolls right off of his back. Yeah. No matter what he says or does, it, nothing really sticks. I mean, Trump certainly has that quality. Obama had that quality in a lot of ways. Um, you know, he is forgiven for things that he has said and done um, because people just seem to find in him this uh, quality of likability or trustability. Uh, that they don't in other candidates. So so stop me or, or correct me if, if, if this timeline doesn't fit. But based on what we know now, here's the best I can piece it together. It's there in Selma that Kamala Harris, I guess, officially internally uh, in, is endorsing Joe Biden. She records a video that doesn't get released for about a week. Uh, later that well, night. I didn't see her there. Let me let me just stop you. Okay. I didn't see her there. 
I, th- I think they had another march the next week that was a smaller affair oh. just for like members of Congress and everybody else. And that's when she. So that wasn't old. That wasn't old then. That, then that was. If that's that, right. Okay. So that was on time. All right. Never mind then. Uh, 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 we, we have Pete Buttigieg drop out that night. He is at, uh, at in Selma when you are, correct? Did he initially cross uh, yeah, the bridge? Yeah, he was in yeah. Selma. I watched him march arm in arm with, you know, Sharpton and Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren was out front there. And yeah, so he was there uh, and his perform. I mean, his appearance there seemed rather unremarkable. He was just kind of there. Yeah. You know? So it, it's at that point that we have really, he's the first domino to fall. He drops out of the race. That's right. It's a bit of a shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, does not endorse immediately. Uh, and then the next day, this is really the big surprise. Amy Klobuchar drops mostly because at least all the conversations that we've been having on the trail seem to indicate that every all these campaigns were very serious about going to the convention. They they were all putting right. on an, an extraordinarily brave face about going to the, the to the convention. Which, if that's serious, then that means that if you have a shot to win. Aw state, your home state on Super Tuesday, you're probably going to stay in. She drops out. Uh, you, at that point, are in Dallas uh, or in Texas uh, covering a lot of these events. Uh, uh, what were you hearing there on on just the, the, the chaos of all this coming together? Yeah, that's right. I, so I, I flew with the Bloomberg campaign out from Selma to San Antonio and watched a Bloomberg event there which was like pretty well attended. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of San Antonio, majority Latino city, also my hometown, uh, where a lot of people seemed pretty, uh, you know, pretty psyched about Bloomberg. Plus he had free beer and free food at the event. But, <laughs> which know, by the way, that, there. that is, that is my, <laughs> my greatest, greatest lament is that Bloomberg dropped out before I could pillage a Bloomberg, uh, open bar. That is, that is an absolute shame. <laughs> It was barbecue and Tex-Mex and Corona. So, Killing you know, me. Killing good me. Stuff. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so then, yeah, I flew um, the next morning to Houston to see a Biden event at an HBCU there. Again, you know, this is the funny thing about the Biden, like, sort of sneak attack here. His events, like, compared to Bernie Sanders' events, have been minuscule. Yeah. Like, he's, like, in a public foyer of a, of a building at a relatively small university in Houston, um, you know, there's, it's packed in there, but packed for like a public foyer of a public school um, compared to like the tens of thousands of people who show up for Bernie rallies with like entertainment, like the strokes and public enemy. So it's just, it is, it's somewhat jarring uh, because you don't see the support, but the support shows up on election day. And that's kind of what it felt like. You know, like you, the whole world is coalescing around this guy, but he's like standing here in a pretty public place. It seems kind of like unassuming. Then I get to Dallas and it's like, aha, I start to see it a little more, you know, still about 2000 people showed up small compared to Bernie's events, yeah. but big for Biden's events. I had not seen a Biden event uh, of that magnitude this entire cycle. And he's just cycling, uh, people through Amy Klobuchar and her family comes out. He's got, you know, members of Congress who, who had endorsed him prior come out and then Biden speaks. And then to cap it all off, our old buddy, Beto O'Rourke, yeah. who <laughs> we haven't seen, seen or heard from in a long time, comes out 
and, you know, says his piece endorsing Biden and then says he's going to take him to Whataburger in Texas yeah. for, you know, an old meal. They live stream the Whataburger thing. And you start to see uh, just how powerful uh, from a perspective of getting like news coverage and earned media, this kind of this kind of coalescing around a candidate can be. I mean, it sends signals, of course, to the electorate that like this is our guy. Uh, but also, you know, we in the news happen to be biased to a little thing called news. Yes. Like when something new, when something new happens. Well, you know, when all these people start endorsing and dropping out at this like rapid pace right before a major election, I mean, that seems like pretty newsworthy. So you cover it. And uh, a lot of the, uh, you know, intelligent takeaways that have come out of what we saw happen in the run up to that election were, uh, you know, center around the fact that Biden kind of earned media free press from, you know, from these endorsements and people dropping out and, and backing him. Uh, and that really boosted his candidacy heading into Super Tuesday in places where he like had not even visited well, and where I Bernie had invested money. Yeah. And that really is when, when people talk about the shock of how fast this turned, what you're describing in Dallas was the unveiling of the full, the, the, the fully formed centrist battle station. Right. Cause at that point, Pete drops out, Pete does an event before that one that you're talking about where they had a, a smaller thing at like a, a, a some restaurant near uh, in, in and around Dallas then they have the big rally where everybody comes out. Although I did find it hilarious that Pete and Amy could not share a stage, which was uh, very funny to me. Uh, there was a lot of specula speculation that Pete was, you know, flying down from South Bend for the rally too, but that never uh, turned out to be true, or he never was there. And uh, no, he had he had his own he had his own topic. yeah he had his own special event before that uh, uh, where where there you go. where he got he got his endorsement in. But now you you see what that was, but it still at, in that moment felt like you know the best possible shot. We'll see if it's enough. Uh, uh, and and lo and behold, it certainly is on on Super Tuesday. Can you just put into words how shocking it is that Biden wins both Massachusetts and Minnesota, considering how little time he spent in either? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than, like, nobody could have predicted it. I mean, we, we were going from a scenario where we've got a senator from Massachusetts and a senator from Minnesota uh, running. Uh, and, you know, at, at some point in the race, uh, one way or the other, th that senator was leading uh, in, 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 you know, both of those states. And then those senators just kind of drop out precipitously. Uh, Warren was later, of course. Uh, but then uh, even when Warren couldn't get uh, Massachusetts, the next best progressive doesn't win Massachusetts. Uh, it goes to Biden. I mean, the whole thing uh, was a shock. I mean, the fact that somebody whose campaign had been way behind in the money chase, yeah. had not spent much on advertising, had not spent uh, almost any time, didn't have any of the indicators of general electoral success on their side, except for one major one, which is name recognition, um, just sweeps, almost sweeps the table, wins elections that they have no business winning. Uh, it was just 
dumbfounding. I think my jaw's still on the floor. I'm self quarantining <laughs> right now because I'm still so shocked. Yes, there we go. Have you been to Biden events since Super Tuesday? Since Super Tuesday, uh, I was at no. I was nope. I came back to DC and I haven't been back on the road yet. Um, but I'm gonna get back out there this weekend. I mean, I, well, man, I was planning to go cover the the debate in Arizona, and now because of coronavirus, they've uh, <laughs> you know announced that there's not going to be any press scrum and they've canceled everybody's credentials. And yeah, uh, so honestly, we're we're <laughs> we're kind of in a what do we do now phase. I mean, all the all the campaigns are in a in a holding pattern in a in a sense, like not sure how to continue you know campaigning in the age of coronavirus. And all the press are kind of in the same um, in the same spot where we're not sure. Like, should we buy our tickets out to Arizona just for everything to get canceled? Yeah. I so mean, no, I haven't seen a. Long story short, I haven't seen a Biden event. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was uh, the the by all and uh, you know uh, by all accounts and 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 the video of it, it it seems like they are different uh, in that the the Biden events that that I caught on the road all kind of followed the same fairly unstructured pattern of Biden gets introduced. Biden says whatever the hell he wants for as long as he wants. Biden actually takes Q and a, which I think is rare. Uh, uh, I didn't see a lot of other candidates take just live un unvetted, hand somebody a microphone Q and a, there was usually some kind of, uh, of uh, element <laughs> between it. Uh, and now it appears he is, I mean, number one, the crowds are larger. So Q&A is a little bit less of an option. But he's speaking yep. for a lot less and he's doing it on, on a teleprompter, which he was not doing before. Uh, I think uh, uh, that that is pretty safe to say, right? Yeah, I think that's about right. I, I mean, uh, back when he first got in the race and he was the unquestioned national front runner, um, he was... Uh, you know, running what they call like the Rose, Gar Rose Garden strategy, pretty much pretending like you're already the nominee. Yeah. You don't have to deign to, to uh, you know, stoop yourself to this low level of actually uh, interacting with people or you're, you know, name dropping other candidates. And then when, when the, the tide sort of started turning for him, you saw them expose the candidate a little bit more to, you know, the, the um, unpredictable scrutiny of voters and what they might want to talk about. Um, and now that he is again, the front runner and like, you know, in the course of like a week or two has has basically uh, sealed up the nomination barring some kind of, you know, catastrophic or unpredictable event. Um, I think we're heading right back to where we started, which is, yeah. uh, you know, Biden acting like he is, you know, the vice president who is about to become the president. He isn't going to say a bad word about Bernie from here on out. Like there's, there's, there's no, yeah, that would be dumb. Unless, unless he gets caught up and, and, you know, Biden is certainly prone to that. Unless somebody provokes him on some level, then I think it's safe to say that this is going to be all about Donald Trump from now until the convention, if the convention happens in our coronavirus soaked universe. All right. Well, that's why the debate, which is still going to happen yeah. just with no audience and no press, uh, no press filing center and whatever uh, is still to me going to be a really interesting watch. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's not too late theoretically for Bernie Sanders to turn the tide here. Uh, the results on super Tuesday and the results um, the next Tuesday where he, you know, went ahead and lost a bunch of other States, including several that he had 
won in 2016 against Clinton, or at least, you know, got really close in. Yeah. Um, you know, the, there's still a lot of votes left to be cast. And again, it would take some kind of a, you know, catastrophic collapse on the part of Biden uh, to, uh, you know, to change, you know, the inevitable, which is that he'll get the nomination. Um, and it's going to be really inter- interesting to me to see whether Bernie tries to facilitate that kind of a collapse or whether he's in it now just to try to make a point. Is he trying to just get uh, Biden on the record on a number of issues that he cares about? Is he? Yeah. Uh, and we saw him. We saw him give a speech um, the day after he lost on that Tuesday. Uh, you know, and, and he kind of said he laid out his strategy. He said, "I'm going to ask Joe Biden the following questions." Yeah. So, you know, and and then he says this and that and the other everything that he wants. It's almost as if he was giving him a roadmap about how to win. You know, yeah. he's, he's saying, Joe, you're not getting young people to vote for you. And I am. And here's why. Here's what you need to talk about. It almost seemed like he's helping his old friend, Joe, realizing now that he has, you know, little past the, to the nomination rather than trying to hinder um, his his uh, run. But, you know, that doesn't mean that Joe Biden can't screw it up. And whether or not Bernie wants to play nice, it doesn't necessarily mean that some of the people that are extraordinarily loyal to Bernie and very much invested in Bernie will do so as well. You had a great story on Vice uh, yesterday or the day before about the Sunrise Movement targeting uh, Biden, and uh, they disrupted a rally over the last uh, uh, 24 to 48 hours. Do you expect that to continue? Yeah, I mean, I don't see any reason why not, because as they said in the conference call that I uh, covered that I wrote about for Vice, their their strategy about bird dogging Biden and getting in his face is not just about trying to elect Bernie Sanders anymore. It's about trying to sharpen Joe Biden if he does become the nominee. Yeah, they think and they're right that climate is a major issue for young people. I mean, polls bear this out. Young people vote on climate change, and young people have been supporting uh, Bernie Sanders in part because of his full embrace of the Green New Deal and other you know, drastic climate measures to try to deal with the crisis we're in. Uh, but Biden, uh, although he talks about climate quite often, uh, his plan is lacking in the eyes of, of, of activists like the Sunrise Movement. And so they want to let him know face-to-face all over the country, like they said, we're going to be wherever Biden is, that they think he sucks on the climate. As much as he talks about it, they think he's just not doing well enough, and they want him to, you know, come out with a better plan, embrace the Green New Deal, go further than he has, and want him to know that if he doesn't, he can't expect them to show up for him on Election Day in a general election. That is going to be the question. The question going forward is is whether or not Joe Biden cares to coalesce the progressives and whether or not he can coalesce the progressives because uh, obviously the mood now in any kind of situation like this is going to be very very fractured but uh, I I don't know I mean I I really just I I wonder with his campaign now uh, a campaign that by the way on on the eve of uh, the, 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 the dawning of his new supremacy Jim Clyburn the man who probably ushered that in said on the record that Biden's campaign was a mess and they needed to fix it. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where where that goes. I don't know if, if there's lingering resentment, if because that's that's the one thing that that those who go up against Bernie Sanders seem to have in common 
is they really don't like the experience. <laughs> they really don't feel super excited <laughs> to rush out and help him. That's right. Well, you know, to his credit, Sanders has, you know, kind of bent over backwards to try to say, you know, Joe Biden is my friend. Yeah. I disagree with him on many issues, but he's a good, decent man. And there does seem to be, a, you know, some more collegiality there than there was in the 2016 race against Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Bernie, Bernie can't uh, predict or he can't control what a lot of his most fervent supporters say or do, um, whether that means um, trying to damage Biden by bringing up these unfounded allegations about dementia or whether that means protesting him and uh, like the Sunrise Movement does in, and, and subjecting him to, uh, you know, warranted scrutiny, but uh, also imagery that doesn't look great for a, you know, an a, a intra-party contest. And, and just kind of things that could be damaging heading into a general election, uh, you know, that's not something that once, you know, once the you can't unring that bell, I guess yeah. is what I'm trying to say, you know? Yeah. Uh, all right. So it, theoretically, you'd be going to Arizona and then would you, would you be going to what, Ohio, Florida? Where else? Yeah, Wisconsin is a really big one to to try to keep an eye on. Um, I'm interested, you know, given what we saw in Michigan the other day. Uh, you know, is that kind of uh, an atmosphere going to extend uh, further, you know, through the Midwest? I mean, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, those are states that uh, in many ways, Biden has pitched his candidacy on being able to win. He says, uh, you know, working class white people, yeah. you know, a shorthand for working class white people, people who, who voted, for, you know, for, for Obama and then voted for Trump. He says he can win them back. Um, is he going to be able to do that? Or do the numbers bear that out? Are working class whites skewing towards him? Uh, you know, what, what's going to happen with uh, the youth vote? Are they going to continue turning out if, if this is sort of a lost cause for, for Bernie Sanders? Or can he somehow turn around? Can he even win any states anymore? And, the, and yeah, like you said, Arizona, I mean, Latino voters are, are a big question for, for Biden, too. Um, they've yeah. been turning out at an incredible rate for Bernie Sanders. Um, and uh, and and it seems there that uh, you know for all the strengths that um, that Biden has with uh, with African American voters, um, he just really does not and has not crafted a message that has been resonating with uh, Latinos across the country. Uh, so he's got yeah he's got a lot of work to do there too. Yeah, I mean, you know, the problem that Bernie faces now is although there are plenty of delegates out there, if you look at where they are, and a lot of them are going to vote on uh, next Tuesday. Georgia is probably not going to be great based on how the other Southern states have voted for Bernie. Uh, Florida is a unique problem for Bernie, considering his statements on Israel Castro and uh, you know, the, the, the high uh, of a black voter turnout there. And then Ohio That's right. uh, is, is, is similarly bad. So it's like, those are big high value States that are probably going to be based on our trends of a bloodbath for Bernie next Tuesday. Yeah, that's why some of the smartest election, you know, trackers were saying that, you know, Bernie's showing on Super Tuesday, which was supposed to be his biggest day. You he, know, need, he needed that. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah he, he needed it to be much bigger than he was. I mean, he lost Texas. He needed those numbers to be much, much, much higher than what actually happened. And, and even with California's results still being tabulated, um, 
you know, this next round of voting, like you said, just really, really does not bode well for Bernie Sanders. Um, and, you know, what had looked like, you know, some kind of a, uh, a march towards um, uh, towards a contested convention with a bunch of candidates like th- refusing to get out is looking more and more like uh, a race that's going to be sealed up like well in advance of the convention. Um, and, you know, while that might save uh, the Democratic establishment uh, a lot of headaches, uh, it's, you know, it's just it happens so quickly that you get a lot of progressives grumbling about it and and you know a lot of these this resurfaced ill will from 2016 uh from when you know people thought that the deck was stacked uh and and i think that's you know as as damaging as the contested convention and all the brokering and and hurt feelings would be you know something that just changes on a dime like this and then wraps itself up quickly also seems like a little bit damaging in the inverse, you know? Oh, I mean, uh, uh, certainly so. And and when, when, when you look at how fast all those centrists came together and, and against everything that they were saying, I, I, can, I can understand where there is at the very least whiplash, if not conspiratorial thinking. Not to mention, there is the larger, the, the big question that will linger far past this election amongst progressive circles is why did Elizabeth Warren head to, you know, studio eight H in Rockefeller center instead of by Bernie's side, if she cares so much about Medicare for all, that's, that's, that's going to be the big, that, that will linger past where we are right now. Big question that I do not have an answer for, unfortunately. And now it seems like even a, you know, I mean, it's maybe a little uh, wishful thinking to think that a, a Warren endorsement would have done anything, but certainly as a, um, a sort of a token endorsement to unite progressives around a, yeah. a shared ideals, uh, it seems like it would have, you know, wouldn't have been worthless. And yet now it almost assuredly seems like it would be worthless. I mean, if, if Warren got up today or Biden got up today and said, Warren is going to be my vice presidential candidate and we're going to barnstorm the country together, it still doesn't seem like it would make much of a difference now. No, I mean, it would be more of a reward for Warren on the Biden side than it would be anything on the Bernie side. I think that that, that moment in time kind of uh, came and went as fast as a burrito in front of Bailey the dog. Uh <laughs> My guest has been Dan Neuhauser. He, uh, you can read him on on Vice, and uh, hopefully, uh, pres- you know, assuming that it's not federally mandated that we can't leave our apartments, I, I will see you on the trail hopefully soon. All right, man. I look uh, forward to giving you a coronavirus elbow bump somewhere <laughs> uh, in the middle of the United States soon. All right, man. Thank you. Friends, if you want to support this show, you can do so by heading on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, that is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Few things have changed, all right? First, we have added automatic Discord privileges to all levels. What does that mean? Well, if you're an old like me and you had to have Discord explained to you, it's a persistent chat room. So you're always able to talk to other PX3 fans, talk politics. The same kind of energy that we try to project on this show is projected onto that Discord. So if you want to have a conversation, see what other like-minded people are thinking, that's the way to do it. If you go to uh, uh, get 
Discord on your phone, on your computer, and then you add that account to your Patreon account, you're automatically added. It's just that simple. Second, we now have two new levels on opposite ends of the spectrum on the Patreon. Because of how the Discord worked, I had to have, uh, add one for $1. This is the big tent tier. So you can get access to the Discord for just a buck. It's that easy. And then, because I know when you're out there on the road, there are folks that got more money than cents. I've added the donor class. This is a big money tier. It's not going to be there for 99.9%. But there might be that 1% of you that actively would like to have an entrance into the secret donor class group chat that I'm just going to have on my phone. So as I'm on the road, as things are happening, as news is happening, you don't even got to wait for me to tweet about it. You don't even got to wait for me to post about it. You're a donor. You can just hit me up on the secret bat phone. I'm there for you. The donor class level also available. But meanwhile... The campaign undertaker rolls on. We got uh, some merch to give away. Tom Steyer merch specifically. That was the giveaway last week. And uh, uh, there was one prize that I didn't mention last week that is going to go out to one of these two lucky winners. And that is the actual press pass to the Tom Steyer juvenile rally that me and Dan just talked about. You're going to get that. Well, one of these people are going to get it. Alan and Andrea head on over to Patreon uh, uh, or just go ahead and email me your address to theyoungamerican at gmail.com. We'll make sure that it's you. It's Andrea B and Alan on 66666. Go ahead and make sure that uh, that it's you, and then email me your address, and I'll send you the the Tom Steyer merch. However, your chance to win this political memorabilia not over, because the next person to drop out after Steyer was Eat Buddha Judge, and I got a special treat for the Pete Nicks as well. I have come into possession of two buttons, two buttons that were given exclusively, that I know, to donors who donated at the highest allowable federal limit. They gave the most amount of money the law would allow them to, and all they got were these stinking buttons and they have made their way to me, and they will make their way to you. Here's how you win it. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Look for the post of this episode, and in the comments, write GONG. G-O-N-G. GONG. Pete giveaway next week. I'll see you there. My next guest is the DC correspondent for Cheddar, J.D. Durkin. How you doing, buddy? Thanks a lot, my man. Great to be here. Big privilege. 
Oh, well, I'm glad I'm glad we finally actually got you on. So I'm going to start with this. Biden. I mean, what? <laughs> yeah, man. I listen, it's so funny because I was just thinking last night, the last time you and I saw one another, we were in what I think was Des Moines before the caucus. I believe so, and yeah. the political landscape just looked so vastly different. <laughs> as you and I were out there hanging out, kind of, you know, talking shop, shooting the breeze, prognosticating about this and that. And I don't think either of us thought in that moment that this would be the situation we were in just like a month later. But here we are, man. Biden has more run the tables ever since South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. And even then, the process to get to there is something fascinating. Uh, you've been doing a an amazing project, and I would encourage everybody to go check it out on Cheddar. Uh, it's called Pivot Counties, and you've been going to these historic bellwether counties uh, that have recently flipped. Uh, uh, so they, they have a history of going from red to blue. In your travels... Who are the the persuadable Democratic voters more excited for, Bernie or Biden? I mean, it's interesting. It kind of goes um, kind of community by community. So the, the, the hook to the pivot counties is there are 206 counties in this country that voted twice for Barack Obama that then switched. They pivoted to vote for Donald Trump, and they, they kind of pop up. Sometimes they're in, like, you know, random remote pockets, but there's actually big concentrations of them. Um, throughout parts of the industrial Midwest. And we've been visiting the community, talking with political activists, talking with voters um, about what has made them kind of what has made them tick and what their thoughts are for 2020. You know, Joe Biden has certainly been a name that's come up over and over again. I think the big question that the Democratic Party right now, Justin, continues to face is like, is it more important for primary voters to put up someone uh, who can beat Donald Trump or to put up someone who they kind of jive with politically. What we're watching already going to happen in this primary process is that they are just sort of cleaning their hands of this. They are saying, let's get on to the general. Yeah. Let's take the fight to this incumbent president who we cannot wait to get out of office. And that very much matches a lot of the interest that I've heard from Pivot County voters um, throughout parts of the country. Um, but there's been a lot of interest. You know, we started the project several months ago. Pete Buttigieg was a candidate that I thought really resonated well with a lot of pivot voters. Uh -huh. um, and then even weirdly for a stretch, Michael Bloomberg, people would always throw out the name Bloomberg there with interest. But uh, I, I'm uh, I'm not surprised based on a lot of voters I spoke with that Biden's doing as well as he is. Yeah. So I guess let's let's uh, uh, prosecute that a little bit. The idea that that obviously the, you know, people who don't like Trump want Trump out no matter what. And, and, and it feels like they are looking for the most effective tool to do that. Uh, is that something that will always kind of, uh, uh, if you're just looking for a means to an end, are, are you going to find the kind of uh, rabid get-out-the-vote effort that you really need to take down an incumbent president? I think it could very much be that. I think what we're watching is just a lot of voters out there saying, you know what, maybe we did not take 2016 all that seriously. And that's one thing I hear from you know, people in the pivot communities everywhere we've gone. They say Hillary Clinton really just did not excite them, did not excite the local community. Maybe they stay home. Maybe they took it for granted. Maybe they still thought there was not a snowball's chance in hell yeah. that Donald Trump was going to walk away the winner. But now that they did – there's this sense of like, well, we need to get back to basics. We need to get back to what we know works. And that's someone from the Obama era that we trust that has a hundred percent name ID. The most important thing right now is just getting this guy out of office. Now, 
Will that work? Will it be a total repeat of what happened four years ago? Many questions remain to be seen. Sure. But, uh, you know, we're going to continue to watch the president and his allies undoubtedly, you know, dig at the Bidens, invoke a lot of this stuff with regards to Hunter Biden. I'm already hearing it in the hallways of the Capitol <laughs> um, here in Washington, D.C., that just by coincidence, as Joe Biden surges in the polls here, yeah. Uh, suddenly, Hunter Biden and Burisma is another story for the GOP to focus on. Uh, I expect that trend to continue. You know, I mentioned on this show that uh, uh, Hunter Biden, if indeed Joe is the nominee, which it looks likely now, uh, is going to be equivalent to Hillary Clinton's email server, uh, growing legs, walking out of the, her basement, smoking crack, uh, sleeping with his brother's widow, and then impregnating a stripper. I suspect that you were going to hear his name a lot uh, from now until, you know, the, the election happens in eight months. Where do you, how do you think that's going to take shape? Is it more interest in, in Burisma? Is it just a, a general focus of DC talking points? Uh, I definitely think it, I mean, look, we're already seeing it from someone like Senator Ron Johnson, who's an ally of the president from Wisconsin, already kind of hold it, want to push forward this vote to subpoena some, uh, you know, a very low name, but former executive from the company, right? They basically just want to continue to pick at the scab and they want to do exactly what they did with Hillary Clinton four years ago, man. Remember when Secretary Clinton was called back to Capitol Hill for that like 10 hour testimony? Yeah. Um, we're Benghazi, right? Yeah. And if you remember, you know, one of the most telling moments for me, and here's the tell, dude, right? I mean, poker, like poker players have their tells. And Kevin McCarthy, leading House Republican from California, he had a really big slip up, a really big screw up back in 2015, 2016. Yes. And during a live TV interview, Kevin McCarthy slipped up and he said, look, we launched these investigations at Hillary Clinton. We launched these investigations against Benghazi and her poll numbers on the are taking a hit. That is saying the quiet part out loud politics. And Kevin McCarthy kind of got benched from doing a lot of interviews after that because you weren't weren't supposed to admit that out loud. That's what we're exactly watching unfold right now. So any Republican you talk to is going to say, well, no, it's not just because of Joe Biden because he's doing well on the campaign trail. These are serious issues that we need. No, they're not. They're not serious answers that people, you know, they're not serious questions people need answers to. They're doing this to drug down Joe Biden. I think the Social media, Twitter lane, the apparatus around Donald Trump and his Republican allies is going to get more fierce, going to get louder, and uh, yeah, try and repeat much of the playbook from a few years ago, and this time just target the Biden family. I mean, yeah. The difference is with the Biden family, there's like some TMZ stuff, right? Like there's there's some, some tawdry <laughs> elements that are going to be hard for people to look away from that, that you know, obviously mm-hmm. certainly existed with the Clintons with Bill on some level, not so much with Hillary. Uh, uh, yeah, man, I, I, I'll tell you what. I'm I'm curious to know this also. The other big story that's going to really affect this election is coronavirus. Uh, it seems yeah. as if there has been this very odd push and pull from the Trump administration. Initially, it was a very, this is, let, let's not get too panicked idea. Uh, uh, and then... We begin with our daily briefings, and and Pence gets like a big appointment. Uh, uh, now it it seems that there's even more uh, of an evolution there. What is your sense from DC of how the Trump administration is handling this? I mean, look, I you know right now Donald Trump's sole focus, as it always is, is to be the uh, 
optics leader in chief, right? It's a, for him, it's all about showmanship. It's branding, it's presentation. He wants the optics out there that he is right now a leader in crisis. But if you listen to what Donald Trump says at the podium, he doesn't know what he's talking about, right? A lot of specifics or nuances or facts that the president himself is out there with. In fact, he's openly questioning the numbers that have come at times from our own CDC or our own federal government health officials. You know, he's leaving more of the actual response to the professionals. And that's why they're kind of doing that, uh, that sort of daily briefing. No, my sense is, man, I mean, honestly, from Democrats and Republicans alike, there wasn't a whole lot of confidence in the last week that Donald Trump was really handling this the right way. Um, the, the story shifted, I think, from blaming the president, though, or pointing fingers at the White House to very quickly the broader story that a lot of Republicans are now under self-quarantine because of the CPAC attending. Yeah. And for some Republican lawmakers who had kind of mocked the process, right, Matt Gates wore that gas mask on the House chamber floor. He insisted he wasn't making a mockery of it. Then one of his constituents dies after contracting coronavirus. And then Matt Gates finds out while he the United States that he came in contact with this person who is now a COVID-19 patient. Like, it, it, you could not write that into a West Wing or Veep script because it would be thrown out, right? Something like that. Or he has to self-quarantine himself in the back of Air Force One. That is totally bonkers. That is, I think yeah. right now in D.C., people are just li- living with that political reality of impacted Republicans and what happens to the congressional calendar moving forward. And just for folks who are not aware, can you give us just a real quick uh, uh, two-peso version of the, of the, the, the CPAC situation? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, CPAC is the Conservative Political Action Conference. It's held every year. It's a massive gathering right outside Washington, D.C., the National Harbor uh, in Maryland. Largest gathering in our country of conservative thought leaders, conservative activists, Republican members uh, of Congress, the White House officials, people like Larry Kudlow. Donald Trump goes and speaks every year. And I have covered it every year except for this year. I was not able to go because we were on a pivot. (laughs) Who knew? And, uh, you know, it's, I mean, it, it, it is a remarkable event um, to go see because I would actually argue the left doesn't really quite have anything like it. And while Donald Trump has certainly overtaken, he has hijacked the spirit of the GOP and therefore he has hijacked what CPAC is all about. At the end of the day, if you are conservative, even if you are an anti-Trump conservative, there's something for you at CPAC. And so they bring together people who identify as being right of center and one attendee who had very high level status uh, at this year later tested positive for coronavirus and a lot of these republican lawmakers who were photographed right alongside this person shaking hands with this person were notified that's why you have people like ted cruz matt gates paul gosar who have been self-quarantining ever since <laughs> it is it is one of the most remarkable things uh, that that <laughs> especially gates uh, and and Look, there is there is certainly chud behavior that happens in Congress uh, and and stunts that that are that are there to uh you know just kind of excite the base. But wow, that one backfired very very quickly. Yeah, it did. And the funny thing too to keep in mind is a lot of people are joking. You know, Mitt Romney had been unceremoniously uninvited from CPAC this year after his pro impeachment vote. And CPAC does this, like the way they, they very aggressively brand their politics, you know, on social media and stuff. And they were really spiking the football over Romney. There are a few whispers in Washington. Certainly has the last laugh, uninvited from the event that now has resulted in uh, self-quarantining for his fellow Republicans. And uh, Mitt Romney is certainly on the outside of that one this year. Are you going back out on, on the road for any of the trail stuff? 
Still traveling. Yeah. I mean, listen, that the reality of, of the news lane that I'm in is that our company has determined, as a lot of newsrooms do, that there is essential travel. And a lot of the news is happening out on the campaign trail. Um, I'm expected right now to be in Columbus, Ohio next week for the Ohio primary. We still are planning our Pivot County shoots. Um, non-essential work travel. I think like a lot of companies have been slashed right now. But yeah. um, but, you know, newsrooms are still going and newsrooms are still sending correspondents and reporters all over the place, uh, especially to cover the, the the primary and campaign trails. It's sort of remarkable all this is happening at the same time. Yeah. Well, Biden and Bernie both canceled their public events last night in, in Cleveland. Uh, do you expect that to be more of, of, of the norm or, or was that just kind of a, a moment in time? Uh, I think it's going to at least be the short-term norm. I mean, right now it's, uh, you know, early to mid-March. You look ahead at this primary calendar for next week. I mean, the whole thing could be locked up in Biden's favor pretty quickly. But, yeah, you know, there's very serious con- uh, concerns and considerations. What happens to the nominating conventions? You know, yeah. what happens to uh, to Milwaukee and Charlotte later on this summer, a few months away, but not that far? The political world right now is looking at things like South by Southwest, being canceled. They're looking at Coachella being moved to later in the year, but the political calendar is remarkably fixed. Yeah. And it can, you cannot so easily just move a primary. You can't even move a debate. You can't move an election or a rally or a convention. You know, a rally, yes, but a massive convention like that. So I think they're sort of start, now starting to take their cues from other leading industries, and uh, things could be disrupted for a while. That would be insane. If we get if we get disruptions to the conventions, because like you said, I mean, that that's tied. I mean, hell, even state conventions, which often kind of get overlooked and might not matter as much this time. But if this was a closer race, then those state conventions become real battlegrounds, because if if, if the question is a few delegates here, a few delegates there, they can be won by maneuvering at these at these state conventions. And they're happening a lot sooner. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know as well as anyone the kind of the brokering the negotiation process that happens at those conventions. Uh, important um, to our system. You're right. State level uh, contests or conventions like that frequently get overlooked. But um, you know, listen, man, you, you know as well as anyone, the spirit of retail politics is out there. Oh yeah, shaking hands, greeting members of the community, and that's now being disrupted for what's now basically three candidates, if you include Biden Sanders with Donald Trump. Uh, who are all in their 70s, who are now issuing concerns about bringing their own supporters together. You know, Jim's victory speech last night was remarkably subdued, right? I mean, it, yeah. he had some supporters there, but it was a shell of what it was supposed to be. And, you know, you did see, though, there were members of the press who were there, and that's still going to be sort of my job, still sort of making those trips and um, trying to catch up with these campaigns wherever we can, even if they're not doing events in front of thousands of cheering supporters. All right, I want to talk about some of the candidates that dropped out. Uh, I noticed yesterday uh, Andrew Yang made his endorsement kind of on the spur of the moment on CNN where he's a contributor. You uh, mentioned that on your Twitter, and uh, as I glanced at your mentions, it was tremendously hostile from from the blue hat crowd uh, uh, that were uh, very, very upset that he would endorse a establishment candidate, despite the fact that he and Joe Biden, at least publicly, have, have, have had a, a not unfriendly relationship on the trail. Do you think that that hurts Yang going forward? Or is this officially kind of crowning himself a a name in the Democratic Party? 
Uh, I think it's going to, hey, listen, it could very well do a little bit of both, right? It could endear him to the so-called rank-and-file establishment lane. But at the same time, though, you're right, man, that blue hat crowd, that Yang Yang, man, they have been so passionate this entire last year. Everywhere I win, any exchange on social media, they fundamentally had Andrew Yang's back. And here's the you know, ahead of the Iowa caucus, where you and I last saw each other, yeah. candidates who may not reach that 15% viability get frequently asked, you know, what do you say to your supporters if they show up to caucus for you and you don't reach 15%? Who then do they go to, right? And that's a tough position to be asked as a candidate because you don't want to give another name because you want to compete. Yeah. But at the same time, you do want to kind of steer the hand of your supporters if you don't reach 15%. Andrew Yang, in answer after answer after answer when asked that question, would not give an explicit answer, but he was very subtle. He always said the name Bernie Sanders. I watched him very closely. And that was the only candidate that he would name. And so I think there was always this sort of sense from Yang supporters that if something were to happen with Andrew's candidacy, Bernie Sanders might sort of be the heir apparent. Um, And the other thing is that Yang had said that he would endorse a candidate who backed universal basic income. And but at the same time, whoever the eventual nominee is. So I certainly understand the tough position that he is in. I think he's just looking at the electoral map saying, hey, Joe Biden's the guy. I'm ready to back Joe. Let's get Donald Trump out of office. But you're not kidding, man. I mean, the uh, the wings of progressive Twitter that uh, uh, and Yang supporters that latched on to my tweets last night, they're very upset uh, with the fact that Andrew Yang, I think, number one, wound himself up with a gig at CNN of all places right now. Yeah. Uh, but then just of course Biden when he did, I think that's going to bother people for, for a little while. Yeah. You know, he was really in a rock and a hard place though, because he can't back Bernie if he's the UBI guy, because Bernie, uh, although they might share a lot of that same revolutionary spirit, uh, certainly was not a universal mm. basic income fan. Uh, and, and then on the other end, I think, there's a lot of, and he might be ahead of the curve on this, but within the next week, in all likelihood, based on the, 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 the projections in Ohio and Florida, uh, this is probably going to be over soon. So I, I can see where he wants to sort of uh, uh, jump ahead of things. And also, it, it probably doesn't hurt himself uh, if he wants to continue to be an, an, an electric political pundit, which is now his literal job. Yeah, and I mean, listen, you know, <clears throat> there's also a kind of a lingering joke about what well, someone like Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard is still doing in the race. And let's be clear, yeah. if you run for president like this, getting yourself a cable news contributorship is sort of how it goes. Um, these are these oftentimes can be very lucrative uh, contracts that you sign. They continue to feed you and your family, and it's a relatively low lift. The joke for people that I know who have jobs like that at the cable news networks is like it beats a real job. And so, yeah. you know, if you're someone like Andrew Yang or you're someone like, you know, and, and I say Tulsi Gabbard because there's always speculation that that's kind of why she's still in this race. Oh, oh, she she's still in the race. She doubt that a former Democrat member of the House is is going to work for Fox News one day. And she very well could. Um, that's just sort of a thing that campaigns that candidate do. And you're seeing Yang do it. And I think you're seeing a little bit of pushback to it, too. Where do you think Elizabeth Warren goes from here? Because she, I mean, uh, uh, as we watch the centrist Voltron form, that seemed to be specifically from the Bernie crowd, the, the, move, to, the move to make on the progressive lane if Medicare for all is something that she really cares about. Uh, uh, she didn't do it. 
she went on Saturday Night Live instead of endorsing anybody, made a joke about it. Uh, where do you yeah. think her standing is with progressives? I mean, listen, first of all, 10 points for the phrase centrist Voltron. <laughs> That's a very apt description for what we've seen coalesce behind Joe Biden. Um, you know, Warren did this back in 2016, where a lot of people said, okay, Bernie Sanders, right? And she really didn't. While the rest of the Democratic establishment backed Clinton, she sat it out. She was quiet. She remained on the sidelines, and she endorsed neither Sanders nor Clinton until it became clear that Clinton would be the runaway nominee. Yeah. I think we're watching Senator Warren do the same thing. She's fundamentally playing the game. Part of the calculus you have to imagine is regardless of what she goes on to do, let's say Joe Biden does win both the nomination and then the presidency. Well, she would be in a position to leverage change in that administration that perhaps she would eliminate if she were to come out and back Biden. So a lot of people have been floating around. Oh, imagine a Senate Majority Leader Elizabeth Warren, if they were to flip the Senate, or another cabinet position in the Biden administration, um, if he were to win. You know, the frustration is definitely out there, and it's definitely understandable for deep progressives, for Bernie Sanders supporters who are looking and it's Warren and Sanders. But I think there is a bit of a energy of violation, people who feel hurt uh, that she has not come out and, and backed her pal uh, Bernie. Um, sooner in these contests, they're 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 eventually all all campaigns eventually make for uh, angry participants, but but there does seem to be at least if you're following on Twitter and even Warren's interview on Rachel Maddow, uh, uh, things got sour between the Bernie and Warren camp probably from yeah. from some point uh, if not immediately before then certainly during. The CNN Bernie told me I couldn't win stuff, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. That was that moment in January, man. That is the one I keep coming back to, right? It's a it's a private closed door conversation between two human beings. And yeah. the details of that conversation got leaked. They got leaked at a strategic time. They got leaked to CNN for a specific reason. It got explicitly unsettled and I'd actually argue it backfired on Warren because it resulted in a massive fundraising boost and progressive support for Bernie Sanders. Um, but that, that's definitely one of the, the key divisions, right? And then they had to remember the microphones picked them up after the debate. Yeah. Like, Did you just call me a liar on national TV? I mean, Which it is, got ugly. It was not a good time for a lot of progressives, I know. Well, and let me let me just, just uh, so, so uh, people who are listening to me and know that I'm just a random dude yelling in his uh, spare room, like you're on, you you are a DC correspondent. <laughs> you you interact with politicians all the time. No politician speaks into what they might think could possibly be a live mic unless they know exactly what they're saying, right? Yeah, I mean that to me is the debate ended. They say great job contestants or great job candidates. Like yeah. okay, you could all go home. And she walks right over to a podium where the cameras are still on. All they've been. You know the cameras are still on you. You know the microphones could very well still be active. Senator Warren charges Bernie Sanders with this accusation. Bernie doesn't bite. You remember that was the awkward Tom Steyer moment. He goes, of course, hey, Bernie, I just, of want, course. I just wanted to say hi. Tom Steyer being sweet Tom Steyer there. Um, and, yes, I mean, you, you, they always know more than you lead on. The fact that – and then CNN just so happened to publish the audio that was picked up on that mic a day later. Yeah. These things are not by accident. Which, I mean, come on, right? Like, like, there's no way that they don't have that audio immediately, 
The fact that that was said on, at the very least, the most charitable reason that CNN could say that they were holding it is professional courtesy to the campaigns. But even then, that's not news value. News value dictates you put that out immediately. Yeah, and it was definitely an ugly point of division. And it reminded me a bit, not quite, but a bit of, you know, Kamala Harris last year launching headshots of Joe Biden. It was sort of one of these manufactured controversies that a candidate was specifically going in with and it ultimately backfired um despite the fact that now we're saying you know bernie's got a really uphill shot he's really in a hole um at the time i think it really did not do elizabeth warren very many favors and resulted in a big fundraising haul yeah. for the vermont senator well and also i think that that was that that might have been a lot of underlying tension exploding but uh, that is the moment people are going to look back on and say, man, if only they were able to keep civil uh, on the progressive side. And and when <laughs> when yeah. it became very clear that there was going to be one moderate candidate and one progressive candidate, if you look at those margins in, in Massachusetts and Texas and Minnesota, boy, mm-hmm. what, 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 what a Warren endorsement could have done for the Bernie Sanders campaign and how different this conversation would have been. Last thing on, on, on your way out the door here. Uh, VP talk. This is going to be the next big thing that we are going to mm. discuss. There's a lot of conversation uh, about uh, uh, Biden's vice president being a woman, but also something to think about is he has said he wants to be, he's open to being a one-term president uh, uh, and his yeah. vice president might have to be of a higher profile than the random Senator representative or governor that it that it often is in a state that you need. Do yeah. you have any hunches on who it's going to be? I I mean, listen, the speculation right now. People are looking at that Kamala Harris endorsement last week, which is still just the ultimate reminder to me that primaries are so so strange. Um, that she backed <laughs> Biden as enthusiastically the way she did. Harris is going to be a shortlist candidate. You know, I keep coming back to, and I hear what you're saying about the random governor, but Gretchen Whitmer of of Michigan. If it's really important for that industrial Midwest, that Rust Belt vote to pivot back those communities that pivoted to Donald Trump. Gretchen Whitmer is probably going to be a solid pick. And then there's always going to be talk of someone like a Stacey Abrams, a rising rock star in the Democratic Party. Um, they're going to be tough conversations, but I think those will be three of the names. Um, who, who, I mean, who do you think? I mean, you, you know this game better than anyone. Is there some kind of wild card candidate that you think hasn't been mentioned you think Biden's going to have his eyes on? Not that I think hasn't been mentioned. And, and the one vision that I can't get out of my head is the falling right. confetti in Milwaukee, assuming that we don't have a coronavirus cancellation. Uh, but it's Obama holding Biden's hand aloft, Biden holding Kamala's hand aloft. And that's the vision mm-hmm. that they want to sell is, mm. is Joe Biden is the white man suspension bridge between the two first black presidents uh, of of America. The other side, though, and this was a conversation that that I was having with uh, 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 Tamar, who is is our producer and booker and everything for this show. She was like, well, you know who animates women voters, suburban women voters, more than any of the women is Pete Buttigieg. And if you, if the, the, the point is, to get women excited to vote against Donald Trump, then Pete Buttigieg might do that job better than any of the women could. 
uh, uh, just for 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 a, a variety of reasons. So that would be my my. I mean, uh, shocker that that this would be in the year of our Lord 2020. An outsider pick is that a white man would be the vice president. But that would be my outsider yeah. pick is that if you look at, you know, this Jimmy Kimmel thing that he's that he's going to be doing that a a like high Q rating for Pete Buttigieg would do more for a possible inclusion of him on the ticket, <laughs> specifically considering the fact that uh, compared to like, let's say, an Elizabeth Warren. He's a lot younger, and yeah. that's going to also be a major factor considering the fact that Joe Biden is not only very old, but boy, does he sound and look it. <laughs> right. Uh, the, the thing about Pete, two points. Number one, he is a living, breathing West Wing character. Yep. I have never heard the man say something that does not sound like it was scripted from Aaron Sorkin with just <laughs> devastating Jed and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And he gets uh-huh. his points. But number two, if he is the VP pick, just imagine that vice presidential debate, my man. Pete Buttigieg up against Mike Pence. Yeah. Their previous lives in Indiana coming back full circle. That is definitely something to watch. That would be that would be appointment television. Uh, of course, a more appointment viewing is J.D. Durkin's Pivot Counties. Where can people find that, J.D.? You can check it up on uh, Cheddar.com. We've got two new amazing episodes that are going to be coming out soon. Blue Earth County, Minnesota, which is all about the rural-urban divide, um, about two hours outside of the Twin Cities. And then Monroe County, Florida is our fourth episode. That is the Florida Everglades and the Florida Keys, which has a deeply fascinating, deeply purple uh, political background. And a lot of these are toss-up communities. The president's going to be working really hard to make sure that they stay in his column, but especially if it's Joe Biden on the other side. Uh, all right. Well, JD, thank you, thank you, thank you so much uh, uh, for joining us, and I will uh, catch up with you later. Thank you, brother. I'll see you on the trail. I'm sure. Hey, one more reminder: if you want to get five days a week a newsletter in your inbox, embodying all the thought, witticisms, and feedback of this very program. There's only one place for you to go, freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Again, freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Quick read, five stories a day, mostly gifts, analysis, the best emailers in the business. Well, the price is right. It's free, freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Come and get it. Our final guest today is an old friend of the show. You can find him at the Political Orphanage podcast, also his sci-fi program, alienating the audience, the one, the only, politics' own horse lord, Andrew Heaton. Welcome back to the show, buddy. Thank you. Oh, it's good to be back, Justin. Heaton, my first question to you is this. Biden. What? Right? Yeah, I, I feel like, uh, you know, Jeb had the exclamation mark uh, in his campaign. Biden definitely has a question mark. How excited were you by last night's results? Because for those uh, of you who are not aware, Andrew Heaton is a man for whom had one existential dread, a sort of Damocles, if you will, hanging over his head as somebody who reviles Donald Trump 
uh, the idea that Bernie Sanders would win the Democratic nomination and this indeed would be your choice. That looks unlikely. Give me your thoughts. Oh, I am. I am so pleased. I am so relieved. I, I've, I've been for two years now. For two years, I have been calling Bernie versus Trump the Sophie's Choice election. And I oh, I was I was really worried that I was going to have to figure that out. And I and, and looking forward, I, I know how this works. I know how the, if I was like, well, I don't really like either of the candidates. Everyone hears. I love the candidate they hate. So I'm either a sure. fascist or a Nazi that yeah. there is no there was zero good scenario for Andrew Heaton's sex life. In a in a Bernie versus Trump scenario, that was just not going to fly. I was going to have to move to another country. It was going to be awesome. Biden is taking it. My life is so much easier. Uh, it, it I, I for the record, I, I think Biden is a policy train wreck, but uh, I don't actually <laughs> think he's that different than Trump policy wise. The whole election is now temperamental, and if we're having a temperamental choice between um, the the PT Barnum of fascists versus uh, Uncle Touchy. Uncle Touchy's clearly better, in my opinion. So th this is an easy one for me. I'm like, <laughs> vote third party if you're in a secure state. Vote for Biden if you're in a swing state. Clap my hands off, go home, maybe even get to have sex again at some point. There we go. So you're saying, look, it's a low-score game, but there is a winner in your mind. It's not like anyone's blowing anybody out, but if you're going with somebody that policy-wise, because for those who have not listened to the political orphanage, you are far more on on the the intellectual side of policy, uh, understanding what solutions are and challenging the systems that put them in place. And it appears that Joe Biden, if you go back through his record, is really just there for the Senate deal like that is that like if you want to explain the consistency in his record, it's pretty much just who was there to make a deal and how could Joe Biden stand at the center of it? But he's not Donald Trump. And that's enough for you. Yeah, basically. I mean, if, if you go back and look at Joe Biden, Joe, Joe Biden's record's atrocious. Like like all of the all of the like, you know, standing ovations that we're giving Kim Kardashian about getting people out of prison for selling pot. Joe Biden's responsible for all that stuff. Like all, all of the, the really good criminal justice reform that, that the Senate and President Trump have been working on for the last couple of years where we're like, maybe we shouldn't lock people in cages for nonviolent crimes. All of that got kicked off by by Joe Biden. Uh, he did that. He voted in, in favor of the Defense of Marriage Act. Yep. He, uh, he, he voted to invade Iraq. Like literally all of the big votes that I have a problem with over the last 20 years, he's been on the wrong side of. That said, though, you look at like uh, Donald Trump. Now, granted, he wasn't voting or anything because he was too busy chasing tabloids at the time. Uh, yeah. But, you know, uh, Trump was in favor of the war in Iraq when it actually happened. He didn't become against it until all the Democrats did because he was a Democrat at the time. And uh, when you look at like fr from what I can tell policy wise, um, I mean, my, my, my let's, let's say my, my two really big things are avoid killing people in foreign wars and avoid spending money we don't have. And uh, and they're both horrible in that regard. I mean, uh, at the end of the to to drop some numbers on because everybody loves math, right? Sure. Uh, to, oh, to yeah. Drop some drop, drop some numbers here. At the, at the end of Obama's uh, for, uh, second term, uh, we had about one hundred and eighty nine thousand U.S. personnel uh, stationed abroad. Trump came in, and as of December, that number from you know Trump uh, or from from uh, from Obama, who's you know uh, neoliberal all over the place, right, to isolationist Donald Trump, it, it dropped down from 189,000 people all the way down to 185,000 people. Uh, so Donald Trump basically pulled 4,000 people back, but he actually increased the amount of people in the Middle East. 
So it's like, from what I gathered, it's like folks in yeah. Germany and stuff, they're getting sent out. So I look at that and go, okay. So so basically Although Obama- Although that, 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 that could be different with wherever this this uh, uh, Taliban thing goes in Afghanistan, right? I mean, yes, that, that, that would, is true. Yeah. That is true. If, if he if he's able to figure out a peace solution and pull us out of uh, out of Afghanistan, that would be a very Cause, big Because by the way, Trump by move. the way- Whoever is able to cash that futures bet uh, that was, uh, you know, made a, a CPAC long ago that the Republican president would be the one touting his treaty with the Taliban. Right. You yep. know, please go ahead and collect your winnings in the booth. <laughs> uh, agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Downright Nixonian if it happened. Um, but but I, but I look at that right now from a numbers perspective and I'm like, like all of these guys are just maintaining the status quo and or invading new countries. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and Biden and, and Trump both fall into that uh, from a or from a from a spending perspective, um, uh, you know, Trump has generally been pretty good on on, on regulation. He's he's more of a regulatory hawk. He, he early on had that rule put in place that um, you for every new federal regulation that's that's made uh, to have to be removed. Hats off to him. That's a great system. Um, you know, Biden probably wouldn't do that, but he's also. You know, Biden's a centrist Democrat, right? So he he believes in the concept of math, but he doesn't think it directly applies to him. He he believes in math, but only four to eight years from now, as yeah. opposed to Bernie, who just doesn't believe in math. So I look at these guys. I I don't see a giant policy difference, but I do think one of them's a flaming asshole. Yes. And uh, so between the two, like re really, the biggest difference I think will be judges. If if that's a really big deal to you, then there's a very clear choice here of of whether you're going to go with with uh, originalist judges, judges or living constitutionalist judges. If you're looking at economy and war, just go for the not asshole, and vote Lincoln Chafee. <laughs> uh, uh do you think all right so so your your opinion on on who to vote for aside uh you are somebody that cares a lot about the the third party side do you yeah. think that this increases or decreases comparable to a bernie trump election third party participation i think this is better for third parties uh i think that um if it were if it were Bernie versus Trump, then it, it is no longer about the candidates. It's about which cosmic ideology you want to be a part of. Yeah. Uh, if, 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 if Bernie's on the ticket, basically, if Bernie was on the ticket, the 2020 election would be a referendum on socialism. Uh, and and the, the alternative would not be as I would have it, you know, for good free market economics. It would be crony capitalism run by a guy that loves eminent domain. So basically crappy capitalism versus socialism. Yeah. Uh, but but all the same, those would be your options in, in that in that dichotomy. And, and when, when you look at like um, I, I, I think the left right spectrum is stupid. I don't use it. I think it's ham fisted and dumb and outdated. And I, I refuse to have my politics dictated to me by a bunch of dead Frenchmen from 200 years ago. But when, when people do use that. They typically what they really mean is just economics. Like I, I know I know because I hang out in a lot of libertarian circles. I know a lot of people that are like in throuples and drop acid, but they're <laughs> they're also, you know, they're against spending and they're against taxes. So they're yeah. center right. They're 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 knee deep in two other couples right now, but they're center right because they they don't want more taxes, right? Sure. Um. So people typically, when they talk about the left right spectrum, they're really talking about money most of the time, and uh, and and so I think that that a, a Bernie versus Trump election would be it, it, everyone in it would would view the other team as such an existential threat and such a cosmic uh, aberration and heresy that they would double down on the home team. Uh, whereas if it's 
uh, Trump versus Biden, it's no longer a referendum on socialism. It's a referendum on character. Yeah, it'll it'll be the what what kind of country, what what flavor country. And, do and, and we by, want? by the way, that that is Biden's explicit message. Oh, 100 percent. His explicit message, which he rebranded the no malarkey bus to the soul of the nation bus is just <laughs> about whether or not uh, 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 not a joke, folks, uh, that uh, that. This is, in fact, I think the quote we're going to put at the beginning of this episode is him saying during his victory speech last night that character is on the ballot. Yes, and and that and I, he he reaches a bit a bit far for me. Like he's when when you and I were covering him in New Hampshire, yeah. uh, he he did this, and I think he's probably said it at most things. The the line is, if Donald Trump is elected again, he will irreparably change the nature of the country. And I I don't understand why. Four years of Donald Trump is like a, a testing period, <laughs> but eight years of Donald Trump, you know, we we go full dystopian. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't really buy the logic there. That doesn't captivate me. But he's definitely running temperamentally uh, as a as a you know temperamental moderate and centrist, and, and he's certainly a centrist compared to uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and that kind of thing. Uh, I yeah, I I think in that kind of election. Uh, I think people will be more adventurous with their vote. I think in a in a referendum on socialism, people are not going to be uh, are are not going to feel comfortable voting third party. They're gonna they're gonna want to make a statement about whichever of the two titans is there. But I but I think uh, uh, Bernie versus uh, or I'm sorry Bi Biden versus Trump, Lincoln Chafee's got a chance. <laughs> is he really leading the? The, the the libertarian jockeying. Well, you, well, you you need to keep in mind. Uh, I think this is the first time I've come out and been like, I like that guy, which means that he's doomed. Uh, I no I no, you got I, you you got Yang last time. Yeah, exactly right. Because remember, I'm a walking Michael Dukakis helmet. Whatever. Yeah. I, I am like political scientists should flock to me, like in that uh, that Isaac Asimov short story where one guy picks the whole election based on his preferences. I'm the inverse of that. So whatever it is that I want, America's gonna wholly reject. Uh, I I don't think Lincoln Chafee will take it. This this is this is some libertarian inside baseball. Yeah, for here you. we go. I don't I don't think he'll take it this election because I think the the Libertarian Party tried doing the um, the 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 credible former governor model. Hold on, pause. When you say this election, do you mean the Libertarian Party nomination or the yes. general yep. election? Okay. Uh, I I mean in the general party election, or I'm sorry, in the in the general election, the 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 thing that libertarians are always rooting for is just getting five percent of the vote because at that yeah. point they're eligible for federal funding, uh, and um, and then they're within striking range of. I, basically, because the Republicans and Democrats um, have zero desire to ever let a third party on the stage. Um, I mean, like, you know this, because I know you're very familiar with yeah. pro. Whenever anybody actually gets on the stage, they change all of the rules to ensure it doesn't happen again. So the, the second um, libertarians ever get on the stage, they will immediately rig the game to prop up a, a awful bloated two party duopoly. And like, that's just kind of standard. So uh, the, the, the goal for the libertarians is to do well enough to actually be a viable third party at some point in the future. Uh, in, in, in terms of the, the inner, inner libertarian stuff, um, I, I think that the libertarians are much more likely this time around to go with a, a barn burning ideologue that motivates their base than a, uh, a respectable former governor that, that other non-libertarians can park their vote in. Um, so I, I, I don't, I doubt Chafee will take it. Who is the favorite? Who is that uh, barn burner? Vermin? Uh, Oh uh, God! I, you know what? Vermin would probably have played well with a Bernie versus Trump election because there would be the there would be the let's all vote for the giant meteor killing us group. Yeah, and Ver Vermin would very much be the mascot for that. Uh, <laughs> no, I think there there uh, there's a guy named Jacob Hornberger and there's another guy named Adam Kokesh, 
and uh, they're both um, they're they're both a lot more kind of true believer libertarian types, and I think they've got a good shot at it for the nomination. But you think, but you think that that the Republicans, libertarian leaning Republicans, would be more adventurous with a libertarian ideologue this time, freelancing away from Trump, as long as the possibility of uh, uh, who else gets in there is Joe Biden as opposed to yes. Bernie Sanders. A hundred percent. I think third parties will fare better between Trump and a centrist than in an, in, in a referendum election on socialism. Uh, in, in that election, it, it would suck all the oxygen out of any third party candidates. Uh, a, a Gloria Young would probably drop down to single digits. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, I, I think it, it fares better to have Biden there. But the most important thing, Justin, is this. Yeah. Uh, my sex life is going to be so much better. <laughs> so this has Biden been a problem. This has been, this has been, is this been keeping you up at night? Like just oh, wondering God. what's going to happen when you're on I, that first Tinder date. And next thing you know, uh, uh, you have to, the, the, the topic of what, where your career is. And then you oh, have to bring God, up politics. I, and then they uh, have to, I, 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 many a nights, Justin, I've been pacing in my studio apartment here in Los Angeles, <laughs> looking at my dinky electric fireplace going, well, I suppose I could get temporary status in Canada or, or maybe, well, I, I, I don't know if I agreed to work on an organic potato farm, perhaps I could be wed. Uh, yes, this <laughs> this works out far better for me when, when, when it's an existential threat between uh, two, you know, two lightning rod candidates like 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 Bernie and Trump at, at that point. Um, I, everybody, everybody gets mad at me because so now, I don't hate people. I don't so, hate people and I don't hate the right people loudly enough and that everybody gets pissed. But, but if I'm like, look, I don't really like either of these people, but I prefer that guy. I could at least kind of like, like, you know, Homer Simpson into the hedge away from the thing. Sure, sure, sure. So you can just now generally say like, yeah, I hate him. But also put, put a gun to my head, Biden. Sure. Is that what you want? The, 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 the Bernie versus Trump one, put a gun to my head. It's kind of a toss up between pull the trigger and uh, <laughs> which of those guys I get. So so I'm, I'm quite pleased that I'm not having to make that decision. Uh, man. Uh, now, let me ask you this, because we were on the road together and we did see Biden speak. E how much are you buying the cognitive decline argument? With Biden. Uh, I think you could make a pretty good case that this is the election of crazy versus senile. Uh, you know, you, you, you've got you've got what a 72 year old fat guy that probably takes diet pills as amphetamines in the White House. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and then you've got you've got a, a guy that he's probably OK, but maybe not. Uh, that's that's running the Democratic ticket. No, I, I think there might be something to that. Uh, I, I think that. Um, and, and this is where I defer to your your far better uh, predictive skills than I do. Yeah, I think uh, Biden's VP candidate is going to be crucial in this because uh, he, he's he's kind of this is sort of a replay of when everybody was worried about McCain dying and uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, um, Sarah Palin becoming it. So uh, I, I and, and I've got a theory on that, by the way, too. Uh, do, do you already have your theories for the, the, the Biden? Picks? I do. And I did them a little earlier in the podcast. Oh, but okay. but in 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 short, there are two hunches that I have. Number one. Uh, there is the, the the vision that I can't shake out of my head of uh, uh, Obama's hand up, clasping Joe Biden's hand. This is on the stage in Milwaukee at the DNC, confetti falling, and Biden's other hand uh, up with Kamala Harris, uh, yeah. uh, therefore creating the pitch to Democratic voters is vote for the white man suspension <laughs> bridge between two black presidents. 
The other one would be Mayor Pete, only because I had a very convincing case made to me by a mother of two that suburban mothers of two are more animated to go vote, a key demographic against Trump uh, by Mayor Pete than any of the women. Yeah, I can see either of those. I think I think Pete's less likely for this reason. Um, Trump. Trump tr Trump made a good call picking Pence as his running mate because Pence is basically the stock photo dad in frames you buy at Walmart. Yes. Like he, he's he's not uh, a super charismatic guy that's going to overshadow the guy on the ticket. Um, Hillary Clinton had to do that with Tim Kaine, who's functionally a eunuch. So it yeah. worked OK, but he didn't add much to the ticket. Uh, I think if Biden picked a. Uh, a a a very young, energetic candidate. The the gap between them would be so noticeable that it would almost be like, look, we all know that if if he picks someone under forty, it's going to be like, look, we all know he's going to die in office. So who are we really voting for here? And well, I don't think that's very likely to happen. I but think I he's think more that's... likely to pick somebody in their fifties. That that way, the the gap is not as noticeable. I mean, I do think that that's part of the pitch, though. If it, if it is Pete, because <laughs> I mean, like he said that he only wants to do one term. Now. A lot of presidents say things similar yeah, to that, yeah, right? Yeah. I think Obama made it's like, oh, Michelle will never let him do a second term, and lo and behold, eight years yeah. later, he was out of office. But uh, there, there is the case to say that Biden, very old, about to go on a very grueling campaign, that maybe that is the pitch: is you are voting for a one-two punch. Uh, uh, the you know, the, I that Biden is effectively a lame duck the day he gets into office. You know what would be amazing? This would never happen. But what would be amazing is if Biden ran and won and then at his inauguration was like, I did it. I defeated Trump. You're welcome, America. Time for me to grow, grow potatoes. And then just like, <laughs> like walks off into the sunset. Never going to happen. Uh, that What I was hoping was going to happen with uh, Obama was I hoped that o I wanted Obama to resign the presidency a day before uh, Trump was uh, signed into law. That way, or I'm sorry, sworn in. That way, Biden would be the 45th president and would have fucked up all the plates, uh, all the commemorative plates. And he would have been president for a day. I thought that would have just been a master stroke, uh, but sadly didn't happen. So do you have any other picks uh, for VP? Yeah. Um, well, let me let me ask you, because, again, you are you are. I mean, you're in California now, so your vote doesn't yeah. really matter. But nope. uh, 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 you have lived in in states where. Well, no, have you? I, I guess. Uh, the only, the only, the only swing ever, state I've ever has, been in is yeah. Virginia. That's the only place I've ever been okay. legally registered where my vote made a difference. I, I was in New York for a while, Oklahoma for a while, um, Texas, and then California. Uh, is there anybody that would animate you to be excited? Oh yes, to vote for for Joe Biden you, as a VP. You know who it is, of course, one hundred percent. If you picked Andrew Yang, I'd oh be yeah, your boy. Yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm still like I, like you know like the, the Three Musketeers when like they like their 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 squadron gets like you know kicked out or whatever and they're like hiding their guns, but then at the end of the movie all the old Musketeers come out. Like I feel like that's the Yang gang. Like I'm I'm not getting rid of my blue hat. They are I'm keeping uh, my blue hat locked up in a trunk for when the king returns. They are uh, some were not pleased by that endorsement last night. Yeah, well, like what? What else was he gonna do? Was he gonna? Was he? He's he's in the Democratic, or he was in the Democratic race. He is a Democrat. Yep. Uh, they, they were wanting him to go for Bernie, or they just well, didn't I want think, to I think that there, there were the there were some Bernie people that really really wanted Yang to endorse Bernie immediately, right? Like uh -huh. uh, uh, because right. much like uh, Ocasio Cortez, like. Yang is somebody that was openly he was open about the fact that Bernie inspired him to run like right, he is yeah. he is a child of Bernie Bernie's 2016 run. The problem with that is that the reason why 
Andrew Yang is running is because UBI is a fundamentally oppositional program to a federal jobs program and a, and a higher minimum wage. Right. Like, like these, this is a different economic viewpoint. So it's hard. I can understand where Yang was in a, in between a rock and a hard place because I think his heart and where many of his supporters came from were Bernie Sanders, but you can't come out here and say, uh, America needs to be transformed by UBI. And I'm starting this new, uh, uh, nonprofit that's going to put money into other UBI candidates and then immediately say, oh, yeah, no, but I also want eight years of the federal jobs guarantee. Uh, yeah. uh, like that's that I think is hard. I I can see where Yang gang folks might be upset that it's like, hey, look, I we get it if you eventually had to do it. Mm-hmm. But did you have to do it now? Did you have to jump out before Bernie is out and say it? Because. I don't think it's not like on that CNN panel, you know, uh, Van Jones was waterboarding him until he gave up his presidential <laughs> uh, endorsement. Right. Yang did right. that on his own volition. So I, I get it. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled he did it. I, I like it. It's he's the, the democratic processes or the democratic nomination still going on between Burden or Biden, excuse me, Biden, <laughs> where I, I had a, I had a Biden moment between exactly. Biden or Bernie. Uh, I clearly prefer Biden. I'm glad that he threw his weight behind Biden. That's I'm I'm pleased. I get I get why other people would because I think that there is a there's a sizable cross ideological appeal with a number of candidates uh, where where their base likes that they are either opposed to the establishment as Trump was as Bernie is or they are sort of um, transcendent regarding the establishment the way yeah. Yang is. I get why they would they would be very saddened by him. Um, endorsing the machine. I get it. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, right, right now we're having to make hard choices and, uh, and that was the right choice. I think the only thing that I could ding him for is, you know, it was somewhere, depending on how you squint on either a man who understands when to make his moment matter or look at me, look at me. I'm putting myself in the center of things Mm. because the 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 larger conflict bernie versus biden despite the fact that it there now seems to be on a clear path is going to live to see today and the day after that and the day after that and likely week if not weeks afterward yang endorsing happens once and mm-hmm. it looks like he picked the moment to do it but i can get where some people are like all right you 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 picked this to be all about you and you endorsed the wrong person in my opinion mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, I, I I get why they think that. And there's probably I would imagine there's probably like, you know, I'm coming from the Gary Johnson wing of things in the Yang gang. There's probably a bunch of, uh, you know, kind of Bernie adjacent people is, uh, in there as well. I think when you when you get candidates that step outside of the the main, you know, uh, red team, blue team continuum, you're, you're going to get a lot of kind of uh, peripheral ideological thinkers. I, I get it. Have you been? Have, has, has your life been affected by coronavirus? This is eventually. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ending <laughs> a, any and all of these interviews. Uh, okay. I, I I don't I don't want to piss people off. I am not worried about this. 
Uh, I like I think if you're over 70, you've caused for alarm because, it, it you know, ba based on what I've read, like it, you're more likely to you're you know more likely to, to get it and that kind of thing. More qualifiers, uh, if, if, more qualifiers. You're yeah. going to get so, emails. So like, keep I, going. I keep it. going with the qualifiers. Who else? Okay. Who else needs to be worried? Uh, I, I'm just that. OK, here, here's the deal. If we didn't name it, I don't think anybody would be freaked out right now. If it was just like if, if this was just the flu. Or it was like the the flu only stronger. I think the fact that there's a name with it, people are freaking out. Like here, here's my thing. Uh, I obviously I don't know epidemiology. In fact, I'm not even sure if epidemiology is the right term. It might that might I might be confusing that with dermatology. But I I, I I've I the, my only medical training is I played a proctologist in a Bollywood film one time. That's the closest <laughs> thing to any type of medical training I've ever had. I had to wear a lab coat and I put on a glove. So I don't I don't know what I'm talking about. I do know the media. And I do know politics pretty well. Yeah. And it seemed to me that, um, you know, I was a television writer for for three years uh, on primetime TV. We never, ever, ever had the ability to go on camera and go, hey, America, you want nothing big happened today. Go spend time with your family. We'll check in with you. We can't do that. They can't. So you, you, you've got to go with keeping eyeballs on it. Fear is a great way to keep eyeballs on it. And if you're a if you're a, a politician, um, you know, barring shutting down your entire country like Italy, uh, I, I could I could foresee a scenario where you're a governor or something and you're sitting around with with the top epidemiologists in your state and, and your your consultants. And they're like, look, we've done everything we can. All all actions that can be taken have been ha have been done. Um, you're a politician. You still want to look busy because the last thing you want to have happen is even if you've done everything you can, you don't want something to go off the rails and then have people point at you and go, that guy was asleep at the switch. You yeah. want to make a lot of noise. And you want to be on camera a lot so that you look like you are the bulwark against this evil pandemic so that if and when it hits, no one catches you with your pants down. Uh, that's that is my read on the situation is I think we will have all forgotten about this in three months. And I very much hope I'm right, because I would, it's a weird thing. A lot of the time I make these these negative predictions where I'm like, yeah, you know, folks, I hope I'm wrong about this. I hope I'm right about this. I hope that this is absolutely nothing. Everybody wash your hands. You know, don't make out with anybody sneezing. But otherwise, I'm not I'm not that worried about this. Just buy some extra toilet paper because it's probably going to run out. Sure is canceling a lot of stuff, though. Yeah, no, it's true. There, yeah, a bunch of events have been canceled. Uh, um, a, a, a lot of like a lot of businesses are, are quarantining, um, which I, I guess that's fine. I mean, it'll it'll, it'll certainly uh, help uh, flatline the the vectors. Um, if, if any of those terms make sense, I mean, like it'll, I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't take like, you know, proactive steps and that kind of thing. It's just sort of the, it's, it's the people like stockpiling Purell that I'm like, I, I don't, I, I think you're going overboard. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it certainly affected the race. Uh, I was, I'm theoretically still supposed to go out to Florida, but, but in between recording all these interviews, uh, Biden's canceled all of his events. Going well, forward, because he, he he's an old guy, he'll, he'll well, die. I, and I would assume that Bernie is likely going to to do the same because I can't imagine once one does it, the other's like, yeah, screw it, come on, guys, let's all get together. <laughs> but, but Bernie and the Pope are just hugging lepers. Yeah, uh, exactly. They don't, they don't right? give a fuck. They're 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 motivated by eternal goodness. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I I, I really don't know. What you, you so, so Justin, I, I've mentioned this before. I read your newsletter every day. Yeah, it, it, that is that is one of my favorite pieces of, of, of news analysis and the only one that I regularly read. Uh, and well, one you. of your listeners, I don't remember the name, but one of your listeners asked if that would affect voting because old people are a sizable block. And I could see that being a difference. I, I could see there in the same way that like 
you know, rain affects elections uh, because sure. it like basically lower income voters are less likely to go rain because they have to walk or take the bus. Um, I could see that affecting it if it is still a thing. Uh, it'll it'll affect the, the the primaries, but I think they're already you know I I think it's pretty well on track for Biden at this point. Is is there any mathematical possibility for Bernie to take it? Short of this debate happening on Sunday and there being a moment where a red-faced Anderson Cooper is a panically screaming, is there a doctor in the house? Uh, <laughs> and Biden gasping on the floor like a magic carp. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I think that right. it's pretty much, if you look at the beating that Bernie is about to take in Ohio, in Georgia, considering the black vote that has come in so far in the South where Bernie has lost consistently, and then in Florida, which is theoretically where I was supposed to cover the race, where he unfortunately faces the the triple threat of a high Southern black voting bloc, uh, Jews in Palm Beach who might not appear, uh, not, might not might not appreciate his stance on Israel, and mm -hmm. Cubans in Miami that uh, uh, do not appreciate being lectured on the finer points of Fidel Castro's literacy program. Yeah, uh, I think he's he's kind of toast in all three of those contests, and yeah. those are big delegate and, halls. And he's already just kind of like there. There was a wave he had on New Hampshire of like. Oh shit, he might pull it off, and that was incredibly motivating to uh, Bernie people. I like, like I, I went to a comedy show here in L.A. last night, and one of the uh, comedians, unfortunately, I forget her name. She was talking about how um, she had got a, a text message from a, her ex-boyfriend that she hadn't seen in two years and wasn't fully over, and uh -huh. it said like, "Hey, it's it's I I really need to talk to you. It's important. Can you call me?" And so she's. I assume thinking about like, oh, wow, does he want to get back together? Does he have yeah. a disease? Like what's happening here? And she calls him and he's like, hey, oh, I'm so glad you called me. Listen, it is so important you go out and vote for Bernie Sanders. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was happening, right? Like Bernie did have that. He had that uh, that striking distance. And I think that's been lost. I think that I think that there's oh, still no. you know, there's, I, there's, I, there's I... still true believers and everything. But a lot of people have gone home. It's, the football game's over. They want to miss the traffic. I said this on the podcast last week. I genuinely believe that this would be a different race if he didn't spank everybody in Nevada as hard as he did. Really? As soon as that happened, now all of a sudden- Because they dropped out? No. Now the threat was real, real. And they right. had South Carolina, where Biden could prove that he had life, and he wound up proving that he had a lot of life. And at that point, the the- the Democratic Party essentially was staring down the barrel of a gun of the opposite of these primaries that are coming up now, which uh, were all the, the biggest delegate halls were in Texas and California. Mm -hmm. Bernie had just crushed with Latinos in Nevada on a level that was had to be terrifying for the Democratic Party. Wait, wait, real, real, real quick, do you OK, this this might be a dumb question, but it is my understanding that Bernie Sanders has been an immigration restrictionist for most of his career. I don't think he's racist, but he's not been pro-immigration because he viewed immigrants as competition with blue-collar American workers, and he and so he he was so I I look at that and I'm like, no, he was I, I, he was of he was of the Ross Perot model of 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 yeah. of, of, of the, so, the the giant sucking sound is the uh, the sound of jobs moving to Mexico. Right. So so I don't get why they like him. Like he's he's not mean to them. Like I'll give him that. Like he he he's called it a a human or a you know, humanitarian crisis. But he's not been a pro immigrant guy. The candidate like, so, the candidate so, the, the the campaigns reached out. It's in the same way that you know Joe Biden goes from being drummed out of the race for calling 
Obama clean and nice, and now uh, he gets the mm-hmm. spot of honor during the Selma uh, stuff. Like, right? Okay. There, there is just politics make strange bedfellows, and I think specifically for uh, minority voting blocks, they want a champion. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. What, why, why do blue uh, blue collar white folks in the Midwest love a, a, a guy who's made his entire career as a New York City Bible villain? You know, like or, or evangelicals for that matter. It's because it doesn't necessarily matter about the man. Yeah. It matters about whether or not you are a champion uh, for that cause. And I think that that Latinos saw that in in T.O. Bernie. And uh, uh, that was that was the reason why we got centrist Voltron. OK, right before right. was yeah. because otherwise a blowout in Texas for Bernie and a blowout in California for Bernie gives Bernie that delegate lead that's very hard to relinquish. Uh, now, the question at that point would have been, well, can you keep them below 1,991 delegates just to to force this to the convention and we can take mm-hmm. it away from them then? But uh, instead... And it's unlikely we're going to get to that point now, right? Well, no, I think that, that we... Yeah, at this point, I think Biden's on a glide path. The... The big question was before, were there going to be too many options for uh, a centrist to vote on? And you had a lot of se- you had a lot of progressives that were laughing their head off with all those graphics, including the ones that we saw in New Hampshire, where uh, all the, the networks were saying, well, you know, when you staple Joe Biden <laughs> to Mayor Pete to yeah. Amy Klobuchar, it looks like they actually do really, really well against Bernie. And the progressives laughed so hard it came true, and they found out what happened. I I would love to have I would love to be in the the backroom smoky conversation where they convinced Klobuchar and Pete to drop out, because uh, I'm 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 sure that they're whether they were donors or or lizard people or the Illuminati or so, someone was making phone calls going you got to drop out now, and I I would love to hear if that was like. You know, I, I, logically, Biden was probably saying, would you, uh, you know, uh, Klobuchar, would you want to be Department of Transportation head? Yeah. You know, something like that. Uh, or, or you know, uh, Pete, like, uh, you know, you, you, we'll give you something. I don't know. Um, or or alternately, if it were if it were them going like n- maybe not Biden, but the, the backers going, we will murder you. We will destroy <laughs> you if you do not drop out. We have to stop Sanders now. I, w- I would love to hear those conversations. More interesting would be the conversation of how they were going to endorse in what order and whether or not they would have to stand next to each other, which they wound up not doing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I think that that's for Klobuchar. I mean, they were both most likely done after Super Tuesday anyway. And and, mm-hmm. and you're you're aware of being in politics that campaigns have internal polling that tells stories that public polling doesn't always flesh out, right? They yeah. have they have an idea of what's going to happen on a different level. Uh so I suspect that once Pete dropped out, then Amy had to make a decision. Was she going to be the reason the Kingslayer. Why Bernie Sanders is now ahead on delegates, or right. was she also going to get in on the train? Yeah, yeah, no, all, all, yeah, that that makes sense. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, political My orphanage. Pleasure. Uh, uh, go ahead and and get that alienating the audience, which is yeah, uh, is killing it lately. You're you're doing yeah. an amazing job there. 
I, uh, I just had on Hugh Howey, uh, who, who wrote a book called Wool, uh, that, that's on this week. So I have my first big author on, which is awesome. Like, I was thrilled because I, like, I, like, I, I know this guy independently. Uh, like, I, I've had P PR people are starting to reach out to me uh, asking me to bring on their authors. And, and I'm having to kind of look at that and go, all right, do I like this person? All that kind of stuff. But for, literally the first author, I was like, hey, I loved your book. Do you want to come on? Like, he was like, sure, let's do it. And, uh, and then I'm, I'm interviewing a guy later this week. It'll come out next week. Um, who's a, uh, a string of titles behind him, but basically he, he loves sci-fi and is, in, and is an actual scientist and expert in nanotechnology. So we're going to have like, I ended up watching like a 1950s film with Alec Guinness. Like it, it's cool. I've enjoyed that a lot. Oh, dude, dope. Uh, and, and, I'll, and I'll throw out, if anybody's familiar with him, uh, Lord Matt Ridley, the of author course. of The Rational yeah. Optimist. Uh, I am going to... Uh, I, I am going to be staying up till two tonight to interview him at nine o'clock a.m. his time. Oh, that's because, great. Yeah, he's going to come on and talk about The Rational Optimist. We're doing a two-parter. He's going to do that, and then he's going to come back here in a couple of months because he's got a new book coming out. And uh, I, am, I am really excited. He's uh, I, I am a big Matt Ridley fan and finally have a member of the House of Lords on my podcast. It was inevitable, and oh. I'm glad it's finally happening. Your, your, your Anglophile boner, I can see, poking out from your <laughs> Skype avatar. Just a, a giant tartan erection. Yeah, just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, buddy. Yep, thank you. And that brings us to the end of our double stuffed big time possibly end of the campaign trail episode. I mentioned it in the, in the Heaton podcast, but now it looks like all campaigning is going to be done before the Florida primary, which means I don't even know if I'm going to Florida now. I have no idea what's happening. We're going to find out together. Uh, I'm going to have to rely on my $10 tier. Uh, Adam, Adam, Andrew, Andy, Brad, Chad, Daily Tech News Show, Darren, David, DL, D-Laser, Frozen Summer, Jim Wright, Jay, Milius, Jonathan, Kilowatt, Lindsay, Mike, Milkleg, Nicholas, Nick, Olin, and Angel, Paul, Paul, Peter, Stephen, The Gen, Will, and Zach, you want to join their ranks? You want to get your name said at the end of the show? Head on over. TakePoliticsSeriously.com One more reminder. At TakePoliticsSeriously.com You can also join our $3 level. Get two bonus episodes. If you want to earn some free Pete Buttigieg merch, then head to that uh, website right now. TakePoliticsSeriously.com And on the post for this episode, write GONG. G-O-N-G Because that is what happened when the campaign undertaker came for the mayor. Till next time, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Justin R. Young. Instagram, Justin R. Young. Join our Discord by joining our Patreon. And friends, that's where we can all discuss that there are some shows that talk about politics, others that talk about politics, and still more that discuss politics. But this my friends is the only show that talks about all three
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>